Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 128 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. This time around, we have a great crossover episode for you, where the tables are turned and I'm suddenly the one being interviewed alongside my friend Braden Bumpers of McClintock Distilling. This interview was conducted by beverage broadcaster Chris Sands of the Uncapped podcast, who spends most of his time in the craft beer space, but has recently been branching out to spirits and cocktails. Before we jump into the interview, I do have a few quick announcements for you. First, let's do that holiday discount thing. If you visit modernbarcart.com right now, you'll see a little pop-up that says, hey, you can receive 15% off your entire order by entering a coupon code. Well, that's fine, but here's what I'm going to do for all you listeners out there. If you enter the coupon code HOLIDAYPOD, HOLIDAY, P-O-D, all one word, at checkout, you'll receive 20% off your order from modernbarcart.com. That's an extra 5% just for being a podcast listener. Nobody else knows about this discount. And as always, remember we offer free shipping on all orders over $40. And this being the holidays, I should remind you that we have an option for you to leave a gift message. And we'll print that out and put that right in the package if you're shipping it to someone for the holidays. Next, if you happen to be in Washington, D.C., we've got a few cool opportunities for you to hang out with me and the rest of the Modern Bar Cart crew. We'll be at the Wundergarten Beer Hall and Holiday Market near the Noma Gallaudet Metro this coming weekend, November 14th and 15th, and then again the following Saturday, December 21st. You can grab a beer and sample or purchase a bunch of great holiday cocktail gifts at that event. Also, next Tuesday, December 17th, I'll be taking part in an event series called Little Salon which will be held at a private residence in Northwest DC. This is an intimate ticketed gathering of about 50 people where there'll be lots of live music spanning various artists and genres, a cigar box juggler, whatever that means, live Santa for selfies, and of course, me. Yeah, I'll be there too with my bitters. It's BYOB, which is nice. You can kind of tailor it to your needs. And the tickets are about 20 bucks, which is pretty reasonable. And we'll include a link to that Eventbrite page over in the show notes. Thanks for staying with me through those brief announcements. And you know what? As a reward, let's go make you a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Hot Ale Flip in honor of Chris's beer background, and I thought this might be a nice holiday-appropriate and historical recipe to share. The hot ale flip comes from a time before cocktails. In fact, it's one of several proto-cocktails where bartenders, or more accurately, tavern owners and barmaids, would play around with combining various ingredients to make some sort of concoction that was greater than the sum of its parts. Not quite a cocktail, but definitely moving in the direction of a cocktail. 
There were two interesting drink-making techniques that were popularized during this time. One involved taking a red-hot poker or firebrand and submerging it in your beverage to bring it up to a simmering temperature. This served the purpose of both warming the drink and probably killed anything nasty that might have been lurking there in the pre-refrigeration age. The other relevant technique we need to mention before I give you the recipe is tossing a drink. This was the room temperature precursor to shaking or stirring a drink over ice, and it simply entailed pouring the drink from one container to another until the contents were all mixed. It also added quite a bit of air to the equation, which often resulted in a frothy head. So now that you know these two important techniques, let's make our hot ale flip. The ingredients you'll need to make it are eight ounces of dark ale, like a porter or a stout, one and a half ounces of dark rum or brandy, one and a half ounces of a brown sugar syrup, which is basically just a simple syrup made using brown sugar instead of granulated table sugar, and finally one whole egg. In a heat-safe container, whisk together the spirits, brown sugar syrup, and the egg. Then, heat up the ale in a saucepan until it's steaming hot but not quite simmering. You don't want those bubbles. This would be our modern-day equivalent to the Red Hot Poker. Now, when you add the beer to the spirits, sugar, and egg mixture, you'll want to do that very gradually, whisking the entire time so as to avoid cooking the egg. In other words, you want to raise the temperature gradually, otherwise you're going to cook the egg and there's going to be a bunch of weird egg stuff floating around. Then, you want to toss the drink, as we just described, between two vessels before then pouring it into a heat-safe mug and garnishing with some nice, freshly grated nutmeg, the ultimate spiced garnish. Even if this sounds a little complicated to make, it's a very hearty, satisfying cocktail. When the days grow dark, so does the beer, and what better way to dress up your favorite porters and stouts for the holidays than by dazzling your guests with a round of hot ale flips. So, now that you've got a wicked old school cocktail to keep you warm through this episode, let's turn our attention back to the crossover interview with uncapped host Chris Sands and Braden Bumpers of McClintock Distilling. Some of the topics we discuss include a little modern bar cart company history, including how our bitters are made and why we're still cranking out podcasts after two and a half years in the trenches, a discussion of whiskey tasting notes and the strange world of online spirits reviews, how Braden and I set up our upcoming Barroom Blitz event, which will take place on Friday, December 13th, the day after this episode airs. There may be a few extra tickets released the day of the event, so feel free to check out the show notes page for a link to Eventbrite. We also conduct a tasting of three special McClintock Innovation Series releases, including a wheat whiskey, a gin collaboration, and a hop-infused American single malt created in collaboration with the Uncapped podcast. They were some delicious spirits. This is a great conversation. It was so much fun to be on the other side of the interview for a change. So I hope you enjoy this crossover episode with Chris Sands of the Uncapped podcast.
welcome to the MCAP Podcast. This is episode 158, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today we are joined by, uh, I don't even know how many times you've been on at this point. Too many. What? <laughs> Too many? Happy to be back. <laughs> uh, Braden Bumpers from McClintock Distilling, and also first-time guest, Eric Koslick, who I nailed the name. Nailed it. Apparently... People for some reason have trouble pronouncing a six letter. Yeah, two <laughs> syllables. Yeah, that gets yeah. hard. Hey, man. And Eric, uh, I assume own founded Modern Bar Cart. Yeah, I'm, is... I'm the co-founder and CEO. Okay. Yeah, I've got a couple of business partners, uh, but I'm the I'm the full time guy. And, and the face. Yeah, exactly. The face, the nose, the profile, kind of an Alfred Hitchcock type deal going on here. But um, yeah, um, we've been uh, rocking in D.C. since about 2015. So why don't you tell us what Modern Bar Card is? Mm -hmm. From my understanding, it is a multi-pronged endeavor. Always, always <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, add, add a little bit more value. Yeah, we started actually as a, a little cocktail bitters company uh, called Embitterment and we still make those bitters. I just I did like a 10 hour shift yesterday, uh, you know, making, making all the bitters that we sell. Uh, so instead of being our, our brand now embitterments, a, a product line, it's kind of like our, our flagship product line that we still manufacture. And I, I think the, the other main thing that modern bar card is about is, is really education, uh, which is obviously something you can relate to. Um, it, our first being event, that I need a lot of it. No, no, no. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're doing great work here, um, in, in the beard and spirits world. So, um, but I, I think for, for me, the first time it became really apparent that bitters and education and, and cocktails all kind of needed to be in the same conversation was, uh, the first event where we ever sold our product, which was a, a event called DC veg fest in like September of 2015. And, uh, you know, we knew we had a bit of a niche product in cocktail bitters, especially in 2015 for at, at least for like mass consumption. They, they were, you know, fairly um, unknown at that point. And uh, we figured, all right, we got to pick our spot. So who's going to know uh, what cocktail bitters are? Well, all these hippie vegans and their essential oils and extracts at this vegan festival, you know, it, or stated differently, people who care about what they put in their body, yeah. right? They're, they're going to know. And yet, even though we, we thought we had really self-designated with that audience, uh, we still spent the entire time just explaining what cocktail bitters were. Um, and so that I always go back to that moment as the inflection point where we realized that education was super, super important. So I think now would be a really good time to explain what a cocktail bitter is. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we should probably start with that. Huh? <laughs> um, so I make these things. They're magical tinctures. Um, uh, basically, cocktail bitters are a flavor extract. Um, so what you have are what I call three different agents. Well, you can think of them as secret agents that all have different jobs. There's your uh, extracting agent, and that is the thing that pulls the flavor out of the other things, right? So in, in our case, it's um, just a, a grain neutral spirit. Um, we use different proofs uh, to extract different ingredients, uh, different things. So for example, like a delicate lavender is going to want to be extracted a different proof than, for example, our organic orange peels. So I was just talking about that uh, off air here. Um, we extract those at like complete 95% ABV because if you think about what you're trying to pull out of an orange peel, it's those essential oils. And so what doesn't mix? Well, 
oil and water. So the less water you have in okay, that process, that the better the pull on that orange oil is going to be. So um, that's the extracting agent that we use. Other folks can use glycerin, um, but that provides a little bit of flavor and mouthfeel that, that we don't super jive with. Um, and then there's your flavoring agents. Uh, so you know, talking about our orange bitters, it's one of it's probably our best seller in the essentials line. Um, you know, we just use a ton of beautiful organic oranges, a few select spices. Uh, we throw like a little fennel seed in there, a couple pods of star anise per 15 liter batch. And then um, finally, there's the bittering agent, which for us is uh, organic gentian root. And gentian is, it, it's incredibly bitter and you know that's what takes cocktail bitters from being just a flavor extract to an actual cocktail bitters you need to have a bittering agent in there um so gentian root's been used for centuries uh probably even millennia as a, as a stomach settler you know if, um it's it's a, a really medicinal product and and for us we we like it because it's super bitter but also super clean it doesn't have like a lot of other flavors floating around like something for example like wormwood okay. it's very bitter but it's also got some other kind of funky metallic flavors in there that do those things that uh, they come in the um it's like a little bottle wrapped in a, a paper bag i can't remember the name of them Something that I think it's like a German word. Un, is it is un, it, Underberg? Yeah. Is Underberg. that what is that what's in those? I'm not quite that. sure what their bittering agent is, but I, I think gentian is, is like the same type of exactly thing. For, yeah, we'll just go with thing. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I mean it's pretty popular, and it's uh, it's sourced in Europe, so it makes sense that a lot of the the European uh, amari and bitters are going to be using gentian root as as one okay. of their primary bittering agents. Of course, some of them may also throw in wormwood and stuff like that. You don't just have to have one bittering agent; you can have a profile. But for us, we do two things that that makes us special in the in the bitterness category. One, we use just gentian, and in in that respect, it's kind of our constant. All the other, you know, we can change between flavors, but I know that that gentian flavor is going to be the same every time. So I can kind of dial it in really precisely. And then the other cool thing that we do is we actually, um, and this is a pro tip, other people out there can feel free to steal this practice, but um, we create our bittering agent as a separate extract. And then we dope it into the final product um, to basically kind of take into account some of the variation that we get. So if we use fresh oranges, well, sometimes those oranges come from California. Sometimes they come from Florida. Right now is one of those points in the season where we're seeing um, the citrus sources switch. And there's just a little flavor variation, but because I have that bittering agent as a separate extract, I get to have really tight control of that and, and you know put out a really consistent product regardless of some of that variability. Okay, that makes sense. So. Is the um, the process of making it kind of like distilling? So I was wondering because there's um, there's this product called the Pico Brew. Have you ever seen it? No. It's like it's like a bread maker for brewing beer, where it's like a machine. It comes with like a like a Keurig pod yeah. almost for beer. You put it in, you press the button, and it just. Well, then they started selling this. Pico still. The Pico. Well, I don't. Uh, do they yes. call this a still though? Yeah. Are they, it's but, for, yeah, yeah, it's else. for essential oils. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, I, I always wonder like, is that how essential oils are made too? Is it like a distillation type thing? Or I... Sometimes. Uh, so, for example, like rose water and orange blossom water would be distilled like a spirit, except they would just use water. Okay. So, in, in, in that situation, what they're doing is they're 
heating up that water and the 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 water vapor is catching they call it a hydrosol there it's catching the flavor from those orange petals or, or those orange blossom petals the rose petals but for us we're making i think of it more as like a botanical tea using alcohol at well alcohol and water because okay. it's not 100 percent alcohol there's both alcohol and water in different kind of ratios in the mix but we're essentially creating a tea that when we strain it out is a flavor extract so maceration exactly it's a maceration Braden it's, taught me that word <laughs> he's a he's a champion of the uh tetrasyllabic words <laughs> That's it. That's cool. That's because, and I wonder how many people buy those pico stills and use them for. <laughs> we had somebody in our distilling one hundred and one class that had a pico still that was doing it and was asking me questions about how to use it. And I was like, I have no idea how this thing works. It looks like a Keurig machine. Yeah. So I was like, well, everything we just learned about like pressure and temperature and how to distill, it seems like it's just like a button you press and says distill this. So I mean. Probably what, didn't need to come to the class. <laughs> yeah, my, my, but like what I'm wondering is like, cause they, they advertise it as for making essential right. oils. I'm going to bet that there's maybe like 2% of the people. Yeah. Cause it's a if, still that attaches to something that makes beer. Yeah. I would be very shocked <laughs> if somebody was using that to make essential oils. Yeah, I, th I think it's probably closer to like 50% of the people yeah. who get them. <laughs> cause I would, I, I want to look at it and like, is there a wink, wink, nudge, nudge in the instructions about making yeah. Yeah. <laughs> liquor in it? Right, like that grape thing from Prohibition where they'd sell the bricks of the essentially yeah. like grape must, and they'd be like, listen, guys, definitely do not yeah. put this in water and leave it on your counter for four days because then it'll be wine, and that is illegal, yeah. so we, don't do we that. We do not want you doing that. Yeah. There was, all, oh, there was something else I learned about during Prohibition I thought was really interesting. It was something about the way yeast was sold. Uh, there, were, there was something about yeast packets and some kind of like wink, wink instructions on them that would basically told you how to make beer at home. Yeah, probably like the bread, like the bread version of that. Yeah, I think I think so. It's a there's so many cool stories from prohibition, other than the actual prohibition part of it. <laughs> right. So you make bitters. Yep. Um, but you do other stuff too, right? Yeah, so um, we have at this point eight different flavors of bitters. We're actually we actually have a, before I get into some of the other stuff. We actually do have a couple cool new projects that I that I should talk about. Um, we have teamed up so far with Catoctin Creek Distilling out in Purcellville and also Sagamore Spirit here in in Maryland, and we've actually done oh, just uh, the little guys, yeah, just <laughs> the little guys, you know. <laughs> Uh, but but uh, we've done bespoke bitters for them. So okay. we, we've taken um, their products, their flavors, and their stories and created um, flavors that kind of speak to those. So, for example, with um, Sagamore, um, we uh, to proof down our NGS, we actually get the water that they source from Sagamore Farms and that they use to make their spirits. And then we also take some of their barrel scrapings um, and then we, we finish the bitters with that. And then to kind of talk about the, the horse racing tradition, we also use things like red clover as a botanical in there. You know, what, what do horses eat? You know, so we get dandelion, red right. clover in there. Just kind of try and tell some of the stories of what they're doing. And then we recently um, just released a coffee nut bitters made specifically for um, the Matchbox restaurant group. Uh, so on all of their uh, winter menus, you can um, enjoy cocktails using our squirrel jitters coffee nut bitters. Uh, <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. Yeah. So uh, I was happy that they let me name that because to me that was the only possible name for a, a coffee <laughs> nut bitters. But um, yeah, so we're getting a little bit more into like creating stuff for other people now, which 
which is fun. Um, but on the, on the other front, you know, we have a podcast as well. Uh, it's called the Modern Barkhart Podcast. Um, and uh, I do a, a lot of what you do. You know, I sit down with distillers, uh, bartenders, and cocktail authors primarily. So my the, the people I interview, are some, some overlap. I was listening to your interview with Jamie Winden from Lion Distilling on the way here. Um, so we have, you know, a lot of friends in the, the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, but um, I, I also do travel a little bit. Um, I'm a spirits judge for the American Distilling Institute, so I'll be going um, out west again in February to do that. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, that, that's been um, that's been great. So between... So you're one of those people who can try something and intelligently talk about it. I, I can... More than grunt, good or bad. <laughs> well, I can I can sound intelligent. doesn't okay. mean that there's any substance behind it. Um, before I before I did any of this, I um, I have two unrelated degrees in the humanities, which kind of explains why I'm here. I, I don't have I'm, I'm a useless individual um, <laughs> when it comes to. I doing get told anything. that all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and yet here, so it's it's appropriate. We're all here together. Um, but yeah, two two unrelated degrees in the humanities, um, and I taught English um, and creative writing at the University of Maryland for for a little while. Well, so that's not useless. Well, that's... I mean, when when you walk into D.C. and try to get an office job with a poetry degree, it's a little it's always there's some there's some <laughs> eyebrows raised, you know. Um, so anyway, anyway, yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoy. You know, when I, when I come at, at flavor, whether it's the bitters that we make or uh, a cocktail that I'm trying to talk about or, um, you know, a, a spirit that I'm judging, I, I like to come at it from that kind of, you know, like a, not an artistic perspective, but I, but I like to really kind of get lost in it and, and, and try and really experience it in a deep way and really try and connect to the person who made it, the, the materials that were used to make it. And I, I really enjoy that. So I think even though I, I didn't really plan it this way, I think I finally fell into the right industry. Did you watch the video um, of the people who hate Braden's website? No, but no, I yeah, saw that, that on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so tell us about that. And so what, what do you remember? I don't remember the name of that. So uh, their group is called Whiskey Tribe, and their uh, videos they do is under the Whiskey Vault. Um, they're based out of Austin. They're re- it's a really awesome uh, follow. Uh, well, yeah, when you when you posted, I looked at it, they have big following. Yes. It's a popular. Yeah, they do reviews of all different kinds of whiskeys. They're really knowledgeable about the industry. We, I'm, I'm still not exactly sure how they ended up with a bottle of bootjack because we, it said it was a gift. Okay, from some, yeah. I think he I real, think, yeah, he real quickly said it was a gift and then said someone's name. Yeah, but, I think one of our regulars brought it down there to Austin. Okay, um, uh, so well, I'm going to Austin next summer. We'll have to send so the bourbon with you yeah, next. I can take the bourbon and I'll, t- I'll take a no cover with them. Yeah. With maybe me. we'll have a website redesigned yeah. by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think the verdict on ours was, uh, I think surprisingly good for how bad our website is. Yeah. They spent 30 minutes on it. Uh, well, I would argue that there's something wrong with a person that spends 30 minutes trying to find. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I give up after like a minute. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was it was on us. the The whiskeys are very new, so we yeah. don't really have very much information online because, you know, it up, up until this point, it's pretty much we'll release it and sell out that day. So we don't really. It doesn't require marketing, right? And we don't want to like advertise like come to McClintock. Yeah. We have rye and bourbon when we very rarely have rye and bourbon right now. So. Um, yeah, so we don't have a ton of information about the whiskey. But so I didn't bring I didn't bring that up to rag on your website, although I, <laughs> I do 
enjoy any opportunity. Of course. Um, it was more, see, I wish you would have heard it. And I guess when we took a break, I could have played that for you. <laughs> so you could, but, um, or, I mean, you could speak to it too, Braden. Like they, they had a lot of descriptions and things to say about, is that, so whenever I hear someone talk that in depth about what they're tasting when yeah. they taste anything, my mind just simply thinks, yeah, all right, whatever. Because <laughs> I, I, I feel like, like they just start like to say more things to sound more yeah. authoritative. Sure. Um, like, are those all accurate flavors to taste from I, I, Bujack, I or were they? So I think okay. a lot of the the tasting notes that they put out um, were very much what yeah, we Yeah, there there wasn't taste. there theirs aren't as over the top as some yeah. people were. And I mm. think it's a it's a double edged sword because we get, you know, we submit to the competitions um, and we get tasting notes back of what people are trying. And it's really helpful for us as manufacturers to get notes like that. And a lot of the tasting notes or mouthfeel or nosing is really important to us um, and the product we're trying to make out. Um, but on the other side, some people do. We get notes back that are ridiculous. They're <laughs> like, you know, you need to add less less honey. There's too much honey flavor in a product that we has don't no. add, has no honey <laughs> to it. Or like uh, we got somebody said that our we had a nosing of like fall foli foliage, mm. like grass clippings or something like that. And I was like, I don't really understand what that flavor is. We, we Stop tried making to... the spirits in the fall. Right, yeah. <laughs> so like we have, we have a sheet of 114 compounds that we usually try to look through. We know what the general tastes are. And if there's too much of one element, like if there's too much, you know, vanilla, we know we could probably uh, cut down the time in the barrel because that's probably coming from the lignans and the wood and and you know it helps to get those notes from people that are that are you know accurate and uh, based on what they taste like we know what compound that is that we can change or adjust to kind of fit what what people like and continue to improve our products now I think one of the things they pointed out too is that it was really good for how young it was for yeah. being a two-year do you think that a lot of people you're not Eric's nodding his head yes like <laughs> that's like, the, that you're you're asking the right question do, I like this do you think a lot of people read that and just make up that like the flavor based on age in that they put way too much stock in how long something has been aged yes yes yeah. and no um, I think there is definitely a sweet spot um, I personally haven't you know a lot of, of what we're looking for, these reactions um, that are in the barrel, they just require uh, exposure to oxygen. They require time. Like you won't get the development of these aldehydes that give you that like rich bouquet and complexity until like nine or 10 months in the barrel. So like I've had excellent whiskeys that are, you know, two months, three months aged, but it's not the same depth that you get with yeah. something that takes a little bit longer. And for us, we use smaller barrels, so ours are 30 gallons. If you go down to Kentucky, you'd usually see like 53 gallon barrels. Um, so the extraction of the wood flavors all depends on surface volume ratio. So are there larger than 53? Yeah. Like oh yeah, big? you can oh, get yeah. a punch in barrel. It's 500 gallons. Oh wow. You could live in that in that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
we like the 30 gallons for our boot jack and our matchstick um, because we are a small distillery. So I want to make a good whiskey, but I can't afford to sit on it for yeah. you know four or five, six years. And in a 30 gallon barrel, you wouldn't want to because mm-hmm. it's it's you get over oaked, you lose the complexity of the spirit itself. Um, we do have a few 53 gallon barrels um, that I would like to do is like a six to eight year, um, but. I, just as just me personally, I enjoy whiskey that has a balance. Like um, I was at a, a cured uh, out in Columbia. It's a whiskey bar, and they just got in their allocation of their you know Pappy eighteen and all of this. And you know, I found myself I really enjoyed out of all of their rare whiskeys. The Weller twelve year was my favorite. It was the youngest out of all of the allocated bottles. Um, so I like a good balance, but that's just me yeah. personally. I think the other thing too is like when you when you hear somebody complimenting a, a two-year whiskey, you know, for example, I, I think inevitably that means they're complimenting the base spirit at a disproportionate ratio compared to something that's like eight or 10 years, right? right? Uh, and I, I think, um, you know, one of the quality markers that I look for in a, in a distillery or in, a, in an individual spirit is, is, the, is the quality of the base distillate, which inevitably goes back to fermentation, which is, you know, a lot of where the art and science of distilling culminates, you know? Um, so when I taste a young spirit that is, A, not over-oaked because they did you know like little five gallon barrels or something <laughs> so they could you know get it jet black in f- three months yeah. um you know there there are certain markers to to look for and and i think to have a, a two-year whiskey that just performs at two years it, it says a lot less about the um like the category and but it says a lot about the people making it and and the care that was put into that so i, I take a good young whiskey as, as a, an indicator of quality um at the distillation and, and fermentation level and i think you explained to me too like when you distill spirits you build the recipe based on how long you're going to age it for yeah like your white whiskey is a very different you make that a very different way than what you make bootjack right. because bootjack is intended to spend two that amount of You're right two years in a barrel right so it's all it actually is kind of overlapped what eric was talking about earlier with the balance of water and alcohol um and all the flavor you get comes from the oils that actually are very water soluble so the higher proof you distill it at the less flavor you get but the less kind of harsh harsh flavors you know that that stuff that makes it turn green around the gills um so we have the same mash for our bootjack and our white whiskey but the way we distill it is completely different if you tried the bootjack right from the still it's not you wouldn't enjoy it like you yeah. would the white whiskey because it's made to have these really uh deep flavors that change and um are altered in the presence of the barrel so um, you know, we, we do try to keep every spirit in mind of what barrel it's going into, how long it's going to be aged. Um, like even our barrel aged gins, we, we distill differently than we would our foragers. So, um, that's, what's fun about distilling. So do you, do you think that the 15, 18, 30 year demonitors are more marketing than <laughs> like, <laughs> more fluff than actuality or is there really something to letting it sit that long i i that's a really tough question to answer i think yes and and no in that a lot of people do like that i know people that love whiskey and i think if they could lick 
the inside of a campfire, that would be the best whiskey that they could have. Yeah. It's just like very much they love like that charcoal, that really mm-hmm. smoky, oaky, like, um, you know, flavor dominance. But when you try a whiskey that's, you know, uh, American whiskey that's 23 year aged in a new Cooperage charred oak barrel, that's pretty much all you get. You have very, very little presence of the actual, you know, grain and spirit yeah. left at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think it just depends on what Personal you like. Per- if you okay. like something that's super oaky, um, then, yeah, there are 10, 12, 18, 25-year American whiskeys you can get if you're ready to spend a few hundred dollars. <laughs> and I think you need to you need to look at where it was matured to, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if something like on in northern Scotland is going to have, you know, like a 1 to 2% loss rate evaporation year over year. So you can kind of afford not only from like a volume like a loss perspective, but also like a an intensity perspective um to to age things longer uh, up in the 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 Great White North, but um, I recently had a, a rum. I won't specify the brands, but I was uh, at a bar. I was at the whatever the Tiki Bar is in Manhattan. I, it's embarrassing that I don't remember what what it is. The, Poly- the Polynesian. Um, um, Sounds and, like a place. <clears throat> so they have like a lot of rare, you know, rare rums. And I was with a couple of guys who were a little bit more lightweight than I was. And we were only there for a drink, but they were still like halfway done. And I already crushed mine. So I was like, all right, well, <laughs> while I'm waiting for them, I'll have a, I'll, I'll taste a rum. And I, I got like a, it was like somewhere between like a 20 or 25 year rum, which is almost impossible to do in the Caribbean because of evaporation so I, I don't know exactly where it was aged throughout its its lifespan but yeah i tasted it and the bartender was like very excited i was like ah, how'd you like it and i was like not impressed tastes like like <laughs> tastes like rum tastes like black oak <laughs> it, it just did taste like didn't char. even taste like rum <laughs> yeah it was tannic and and flat and uh yeah so i, I don't necessarily buy into that super age statement type deal and i i and i always Look at it from the standpoint, like, I don't have a super palate when it comes to spirits and stuff, but, like, I've had, um, well, like, Jack or, or Baltimore Spirits Company's Epic or, um, even, uh, Lion's, uh, uh, what's the one I love? The, the rock, ra- and, rock, rock and rum. The, well, the whiskey that's made with the, the rock uh, and rye. Yeah. Rock and rye. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, like young whiskeys are kind of like have their unfairly have their nose turned up to them. Yeah. And I think it's what we've been seeing is that is starting to change because it used to be like the, the, the bourbon drinkers in particular, but all, you know, American whiskey drinkers were so obsessed with the age statement, even like four years ago when we were in, you know, just starting this company. Um, and we're like, we can't sell anything less than four years. That's what everybody is clamoring about. And, you know, we made the decision to pull it when we, when we pulled it. So I like this balance. I don't want it to be over oaked. Um, and a lot of those die hard, you know, has to be at least four year whiskey drinkers are becoming more open-minded to trying, you know, local stuff, small batch yeah. stuff. And you get a totally different flavor. It's almost a completely different spirit than what you get. But I think that's what people are looking for today. You know, if you want a Maker's Mark, you you can buy Maker's Mark. So yeah. there's there's a, a lot of cool differentiation now in the industry. Do you think that's because it, it seems like um, for the longest time, maybe craft spirits actually weren't that great too. <laughs> that. Uh, but in early like in the histo- industry, yeah, yeah. Historically, or, there, or there just weren't craft spirits, yeah, yeah. Right. Or but like a lot of like I'm I'm talking like ten years ago or like small batch spirits yeah. like a decade ago 
weren't good like they are now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not nearly as prevalent also. It's definitely, like, it's a very hard industry to break into. So, like, you know, besides, like, Dave Pickrell, who is starting, you know, Whistle Pig and, and all of these other small brands, who was with Wild Turkey for a long time, most of the small distillers were you know, lawyers or business people or something, and they just love spirits and wanted to start it. And there's so much information and misinformation out there. Like we used to be on distilling forums all the time. And I look back on those and be like, this is terrible advice. Everybody's good. <laughs> this is just, you know, one one person who doesn't know what they're talking yeah. about sending it to another. And now like the education in the industry, apprenticeship programs, um, you know, like classes like what we do, the industry is much more um, accessible to people who want to get into it. And the more and more independently owned distilleries that pop up, the better everyone is getting because it's, you know, we're, we're, I always say we're like 15 years behind where the beer movement is now. So I'm hoping we can continue to grow. Um, and like, like beer, I mean, if you look at Frederick, I can't name a bad beer that's made here. They're all really good because competition lets, the best stuff thrive, which yeah. is great. So you think that that plays into the age um, snobism a I, little bit? That, I like, think that was that was a big mark. Like that's a marketing thing to stand on. Yeah. That right. like obviously a smaller craft. There's no way they can have a 30 year, yeah, or fi- even a 15 year aged product because they haven't been around right. That long, and that's so. what the big brands do to you know, continue to move their product because they're, I mean, their biggest fear, Diageo doesn't want to see what's happening with beer happen with spirits because craft beer is what, like 15% of the market now? We had our best year ever and we're at like three and a half percent. So, you know, they really are trying to push this message of if it's not four years, it's not a good whiskey, which Mm -hmm. is just wrong. That's incorrect. You can make really good spirits, um, you know, at different ages, so... I think it's kind of like a safety blanket or like a security blanket mechanism that people who started drinking yeah. before the rise of, of good yeah. craft spirits, you know, it was a... It was I a, liked the band before it was cool. <laughs> or, or it's just like a paradigm where it's like, all right, you know, if like imagine yourself in a flashback to like 1995, you know, you go into a liquor store and what you develop a flavor for, like a flavor affinity for it is something that's, you know four to eight years old and then that's just your rule of thumb from there on and and flavor preferences and aversions like they stick with you for your entire life just like the vegetable that you hated since you were a kid you know and so i think that that sort of rule people just hold it close and and they won't let it go because it's been true for so long and the fact that it might not be true anymore is a challenge to like who they are as a person because flavor is like so so intimate, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's why people cling to it so strongly. Um, and, and yet like, you know, it's not like one of those situations where we want to like go call people out (laughs) because it's still good juice, right? Your eight year bourbon's still good. I'll take a bottle of old medley any day, you know? But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's not something you want to call people out on, but I, I think there are some like misconceptions about why people hold so tight to that belief. Yeah. yeah, cuz I always just wonder cuz I know I'm not nearly as versed in spirits, especially anything outside of craft spirits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I know next to nothing about the large brands other than like the things you hear people like Pappy or like the things that people talk about all the like to aspire to try or yeah. to get. Um I know nothing about any of them. So to me it always like I'll try 
something made in Maryland that I really enjoy and then just don't understand what they're like, well, it's good for a two year. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. So I always just wonder, is it because I'm like a, a pedestrian? Yeah. <laughs> or is it? It's, it's just, yeah, people have different different ideas and viewpoints on that. Uh, there's just so much more that goes into the flavor of a spirit than just age. And that's what I try to preach to people at the distillery is, like, it's about the grains that go in it and, you know, your fermentation process and how you're distilling it. The, you know, barrel aging is is very important to, to whiskeys, but, you know, the vast majority of what you can cultivate through barrel aging comes from the grains and the fermentation and the and the yeast strain you're using and i i argue that that is more important than how long it's been in the barrel all right so i took us way off track yeah. from our super tangent um, from, from our list of topics <laughs> that we were going to cover yeah we have an so, event to promote yeah. apparently. <laughs> all right so to get us back on track we are going to try something that i've been going on about for what a year and a half yes. no going on two years now yeah. although i thought can't remember when I started making everyone taste it. Um, probably a year and a half ago. Yeah. This is the finished product. So far, I think we've had two guests that have gotten to try this so far. Both of them liked it. Nice. Um, so why don't you go a little bit more in depth about this, Braden? Absolutely. So this is the collaboration we did with you. Um, it's a project that Single malt whiskeys were the first love of my life, um, so we wanted to do a single malt. It is a 80% uh, two-row brewer's malt with a 20% uh, chocolate malted barley finish. So already we were starting with something that's very different from most single malts that were there. And then we were uh, fortunate to uh, work with the guys at Monoxy, Tom Flores, to pick out some hops. That I we- wish he had a doctorate because, like, yeah, Dr. Be like Tom doc- yeah, Dr. Tor- it, Tom Flores seems like it should be. <laughs> uh, about beer than, than I think anybody else I've ever met. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, so we tasted through the, um, the first distillate we did of the single malt um, and paired it with UK Golding and Meridian Hops. Oh, um, you're, we can let out the secret now? Yeah, yeah, we can say <laughs> it now. Uh, when, a secret blend that I forgot last when, time. When we were... Like right when we were distilling it, we just shot a video like to like, hey, this is what we're doing and thing. And neither one of us could remember the name of the second <laughs> hop. So yep. so Bray was like in a secret hop. Secret hop. So the secret's out. Uh, UK Golding <laughs> and Meridian hops. Uh, so we vapor infuse that using our gin basket as we're distilling the uh, single that's malt. That's wicked smart. Um, it yeah. is because from trying other hopped whiskeys they can get that, a little overwhelming yeah that i'm pretty sure did not go that route it does not taste as good yeah <laughs> i tried we, to make a hop syrup once and it did not fare well it's really hops are tough because there's so many bitter um bitter components to it um so with the vapor infusion we extracted a lot of the like that nice like kind of almost papaya banana fruit note um, and i think that a lot of the other distillers will go and they'll use popular hops yeah. that are popular in beer right and you were smart enough to consult with dr flores yeah <laughs> to um smart pick, enough to find the smartest yeah, guy to help out with to this. pick hops that that held up right they because the the brewers that I've had try this um, were amazed that you could pick up any hops yeah. still. And that that's 
you know, we, we wanted to make this that it wasn't like you're drinking an IPA flavored yeah. whiskey. We wanted to make a whiskey that has complementary notes from the hops. So those two hops are really nice. A lot of fruit, um, a little bit of like banana in there. Uh, and then the chocolate just kind of cleans it up. It's like that rich espresso kind of uh, dark chocolate note. Um, so I was really excited with the way this one came out. It, it was one of my favorite whiskeys we've made so far. Well, that's what I had been trying for so long. The small that, barrel. That what was we? I ate some <laughs> in a three-liter barrel, and that's what for a year and a half I had been once a week trying it. <laughs> and then two weeks ago, we pulled this from the barrel, and I liked it before, but man, is it so good now! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, aged in full-size barrel yeah. <laughs> for yeah for two years really came out uh, really nice, and I was really happy because that was the one kind of variables. What you're saying was like a lot of times if it if it's in too long the hops can get stuck in the wood and you you're just left with a, a whiskey that is doesn't have any flavor to it yeah. um and so it's really nice to see that both both hops are still very much present in this whiskey so it's it's nice um yeah but if you're expecting a, a whiskey ipa this is this is not the one for you no this is just a good whiskey <laughs> yeah although it can't be called a whiskey though right that's right it's a spirit it's a spirit so distilled from hops and yes <laughs> grain. yeah because there's something besides grain in it it is a specialty spirit not a not a whiskey but for all intents and purposes it's a single malt whiskey all right so <clears throat> maybe we can touch a little bit more on that in the release of, release yeah. of it when we we uh, talk more about your three-year anniversary party, but I think now let's talk about the barroom blitz. Yes, which I thought for sure I was going to say the wrong thing because I, for some reason, have it stuck in my head that it's the ballroom blitz. Yes, <laughs> but it is the bar barroom blitz. blitz. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're excited. This is um, it's kind of an on-trend thing. Uh, cocktail competitions. I was able to MC one at an event recently called Emporium in DC, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I also recently attended uh, uh, the Catoctin Creek Battle of the Bartenders in Loudoun County, which is also a ton of fun. So I, I, I think one of our editors was a judge for that, or maybe Trevor, or maybe he was just there attending. It. I think he might have just been there attending, covering it, maybe then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun. So I, I I've been kind of like looking at cocktail competitions where you get bar basically you get a bunch of bartenders you bring them in you throw a curveball at them of some sort and then uh, you watch them do their work they have to you know come up with a, a cocktail concept using something under a certain set of constraints and then the audience will taste it there will either be like crowdsource judging uh, kind of like a people's choice vote or there will be a panel of judges and then eventually after a series of these you know uh, rounds, one might say, uh, a winner is declared based on some point system. So that's the concept of what a cocktail competition yeah. is. I am seed one for the uh, Maryland Restaurant Association at their uh, expo like two years ago. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, they are a ton of fun. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, actually. And especially if you have more than like a couple of bartenders, there becomes more and more moving parts. Uh, so I'll kind of walk you through the way that the barroom blitz is going to work. I think 
with McClintock space and with our approach, I think we're set up for a super fun event. And it's, it's, we've done a lot of like legwork to try and make sure that it's, it's going to go super smooth and, and be really fun. So it's going to begin with a cocktail hour where six bartenders from around Frederick are going to, they're going to have the chance to like kind of pre-prepare something without any constraints from us. And then, um, you know, the people will get a chance to taste their cocktails. They get a chance to talk to the bartenders. They'll get to walk around and interact. And um, each person who comes through the door will be given like two people's choice, like voting tickets or tokens. Mm -hmm. And so what they can do and here's this is kind of this is kind of one of the cool parts about this is that if they feel so strongly that one drink is better than all the rest, then they can put both of those two tokens or tickets toward as a vote toward one individual or you can pick your two favorites and kind of like give each one a little bit of love. So we, we've given people kind of a way to, you know, have a really interesting style of voting um, that's atypical. And so with from the six bartenders that uh, present cocktails, three of them will be uh, selected to move on to like the competition round. And then the other three bartenders will actually assist them during the competition. So they'll kind of be okay. bar backs for them. So they're still going to be in the process of making drinks fully engaged. Um, and so after the people's choice round, we're going to have two rounds um, kind of chop style. So the first round, there will be three kind of contenders, then one person will get chopped. And then the final round, there will be two sets of contenders. And then and finally, we'll have our winner. So that's the kind of like the, the shape of the competition. Um, do you have a rundown that you want to go over who the contestants and everything are sure. now? Or, okay. Um, so we have uh, the participating uh, bartenders. We have uh, folks from JoJo's, Hometown Harvest, Guidehouse Grill, Volt, Wine Kitchen, and Dan's Tap House. That is our six. I'm pretty sure if Hometown Harvest just brings ice cream with them, they'll get my vote. Uh, I, I was having some <laughs> of their boozy milkshakes two weeks ago, and they were I didn't even so have a good. boozy milkshake. I just had some of their regular oh, ice cream. It's yeah. amazing. He's, he's awesome, and they're kind of revamping their bar program at their restaurant down on the creek. Um, so the timing is great, and um, I always like their stuff. It's all, you know, Frederick-grown ingredients. He's preparing a drink for the first round with uh, fresh carrot juice that they grew mm. on their farm, which is cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, no more spoilers besides yeah. that one. Yeah, way to ruin it for yeah. them. Um, yeah, but it's really <laughs> fun. And um, we wanted to do every December we tried to do as a company something to raise money for nonprofits. Um, so the concept of this idea uh, was really cool that we wanted to – give back to causes that were important to the competitors because these guys are taking a, a day off work when they could be making money to come down and do this fun event. Um, so each bartender has a nonprofit that's important to them. And then the further they get in the competition, the more money um, is raised for their cause. So 100% uh, of the profits for this event are being donated to nonprofits. Um, and we, you know, we, we really want this to be a fun event for everybody. The, the competition is, is going to be, is, you know, a blast. Um, but if you want to just, you know, come down, try some cocktails, hang out, that's fine too. Yeah, we, we, we want it to be, everybody have a good time. I just, I actually just bought the shirt that I'm going to wear to this event. <laughs> uh, if you want to see a, a selfie in a, in a mirror, in a, random marshals in dc you can see that there are deer it's a, it's a winter <laughs> event there's deer in a snowy landscape so yeah. pass that around that's oh yeah we got the camera 
Yeah, so I, I'm going to be dressed in like some some crazy duds. I'll be running around with a microphone. That's nice. I'll, I'll have my my gang here with uh, some cameras and mics. So we'll be we'll be recording some 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 goofy stuff, uh, catching some of these antics on camera for for the competition as well. But yeah, I, I love the the charitable aspect. I think it's it's so easy for us to you know take the tickets, cover our costs because obviously there are operating costs in a competition. But then just be able to be able to you know just direct the rest of it to, you know, philanthropic organizations is, is a nice touch, especially around the holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, Braden told me I had to dress nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a collared shirt would, would do. How about a collared shirt under a hoodie? Yeah, that's okay. Okay. That's okay. (laughs) It it should be really fun. The second it drops below 70 degrees, I'm in hoodies. Yes. That's just my rule. Yeah. That's okay. (laughs) You can have collared shirt. And that's why we got married in the summer. Yeah. Because, Beth knew that if we went into any <laughs> past the summer, I would I'd have to have a hoodie over my tops. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, who are the judges? Uh, so you are one of the judges. Uh, Eric is one of the judges. Am I? And uh, <laughs> I thought I was the MC. Yeah, MC. I might have to, we might have to replace me with another judge. Yeah, we're we're still I finalizing the judges. You are our flagship judge, so uh, a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah. on you. Um, but we'll get some folks who actually study up on you know pe- people who are well versed in the cocktail space for yeah. sure. So. I mean, I know it tastes good. Yes, yeah. like I said, I can grunt good or bad. Yeah, so as long as if it's like a thumbs up, thumbs down. That's pretty much. I Actually, mean, no, I am good. So you said there will be a scoring system. We're, we're gonna we're gonna put together a sheet uh, that, that helps people score. See, um, I'm I'm actually I am good at that. Like if it was a freestyle worksheet. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, like the, judging things on like based on criteria. Gotcha. I like if you just handed me some like a bunch of different things and said here just judge these, it would not be fair to the contestants. Yeah. But with the I mean, if, depending on how the contestants frame it, is fair. But yeah. The, but like if based on criteria, yeah, I can definitely do that in a professional manner yeah let's talk about that because i, th- I think that's a, a spot where things can go wrong kind of like whether you're just whether you're talking about judging like a, a plain spirit or in this situation a cocktail which is more complicated um so what we told the contestants we sent them out uh you know kind of an extensive email with talking about kind of how, how the rules are and, and how they'll be judged this one that i didn't read i, I, yes. I don't know there's, yeah, the, that would be the one. there's been a lot flying it is around extensive yeah. there are a lot of words in yeah. it <laughs> Um, so, but we basically told them like, listen, you're going to be with the, when it comes to the, the chop style rounds, there will be two secret ingredients or one, one in each round. So, you know, part of what they'll be evaluated on is their use of the the secret ingredient. Part of what they're going to be evaluated on is like the, the overall kind of concept of the cocktail. Because think about like when you go to a bar and you drink a cocktail, you see that cocktail on the menu, it has a name, it has a set of ingredients and a description. And whether or not the bartender actually verbally describes it to you, you read the description on the menu, there's a concept that kind of has to be fleshed out. And so that's one of the things that they'll be evaluated on. Um, plus, uh, obviously, like how, how beautiful they make it. Now, there's going to be a lot of little mini samples created for the crowd. And that's what those barbacks are going to be assisting with. Uh, but for the judges, they're actually going to be presenting the cocktails in glassware with garn- you know, with full garnishes. And that's, that's part of what they'll yeah. be evaluated on, too. So there are multiple facets. Um, and, you know, so we'll have sheets kind of breaking those all out and a scoring system so that you can at least, even if it is kind of a soft art, at least yeah. you can kind of do it in a systematic way, which is important. It's weird to like, though, when you judge stuff that way, how often what may be your favorite isn't what wins. 
mm-hmm. like like just recently with the attaboy pumpkin carving contest we we had a list of like think we judged them on five criteria there was one that i thought was the best pumpkin but it like when you judged based on criteria it it did not win yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's definitely a much, especially if the people know like what they're playing towards. That that I think that's the best way to judge things. Yeah, yeah and there are stakes, right? There's real money going to real charities. Yeah, and, you know. So you know, we want the uh, the bartenders to come in and be be ready to you know show off their best stuff. Uh, when is it? It is December thirteenth. So Friday. The thirteenth. The thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, it's going to be from seven, uh, to, uh, 10, 30, 11. Um, we are two, a little over two thirds of the tickets already sold so far. Um, we are expecting it to sell out. So I would say if anybody is thinking about it, um, uh, buying sooner than later is probably a good idea. You can find tickets on, uh, Eventbrite on our Facebooks, uh, for Modern Bar Cart or McClintock. Uh, and it's on our website as well. It's on mine too. Okay, perfect. I wanted to add it manually. Right, because I can't Facebook, tag you and Facebook. Facebook's a broken piece of crap. And <laughs> you can't tag uh, my Facebook page anymore. Yeah, it's very but strange. I was able to just manually add it as an event. Perfect. Perfect. It doesn't have me meant to. Yeah. Facebook. Um, yeah. All right, let's talk about um, the three year anniversary party where people will be able to buy no cover. Um, and. We'll try some of this other stuff you brought, and I want to get Eric's feedback on like what bitters and stuff would work with these different spirits. Totally. Let's do it. Okay. So first, what's this one? So I this, haven't tried this one yet. This is a new one. Um, this will also be released. Cheers. 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 It smells incredible. I, this is... Mm. Smells like banana nut bread. It's really... It's a probably the softest whiskey we've done yet. Um, so this is a straight wheat whiskey that we finished um, uh, in uh, 10th Ward Apple Jack barrels. So um, I love wheat whiskeys. They're really soft. They're really clean. This one is... Uh, I'm picking believe... up too much honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we made the wheat whiskey, and sometimes wheat whiskeys can be a little thin, um, so we wanted to do something to give it a little bit more body, a little more character. So um, this is a collaboration with Tenth Ward. We got their um, uh, apple brandy barrels, which were first-use bourbon barrels, second-use brandy, third-use wheat whiskey. So this one is um, you don't get quite as much like uh, sweet notes from the barrel, but you get plenty of sweetness from that apple jack that, that was uh, infused out of the wood. Um, so it's a probably dangerously drinkable whiskey it is very soft really clean yeah we were sipping on this the other day and it drank too much too fast really (laughs) easily um uh but yeah i I really like it a lot and um i'm hoping this is our second collaboration with another maryland distillery um we're trying to do a few more of those next year as well you already have those you, you just want to, or do you already have stuff in the works? We have some plans in place. We haven't actually produced anything yet, but, um, you yeah, know, we have so much good juice coming out of Maryland. It's, uh, Who are you going to work with? Uh, so we've, we've been uh, – there's some, some talks in place, but uh, <laughs> Old Line is probably one that we're looking to, cool. to work with soon. Um, 
uh, if there's any other distillers listening, we love to collaborate. Um, so it, why don't you give us some details on um, your third year anniversary party? Sure. So it should be really fun. Um, it's all day, noon to eight. Um, we'll be releasing the second and third innovation series. So both the uncapped no cover whiskey and the straight wheat whiskey. Um, those are under our innovation series. So they are one off single release, uh, never to come back products. So definitely stop by if you want to grab a bottle. Um, we also will have plenty of rye and bourbon on site, uh, that day as well. And, uh, we should have some food. We'll have the sweet farm down there making, um, uh, cocktails, ginger beer cocktails. Um, shout out to Rachel. Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. And, um, we are, uh, we have, uh, Bob McCutcheon's band picked up playing uh, live bluegrass all day. They'll be kind of mixing and matching it up. Uh, so it should be pretty fun. You didn't want to have, um, double motorcycle play. I did. I, you know, after Colin injured himself last time, I thought for the sake of his well being, you know, that we'll, we'll get him at another event <laughs> for sure. And with the uh, Innovation Series, are you selling these only in the 375s or in full 750s as well? Uh, the Innovation is only in the 375s. So most of these we have um, really small runs of. It's usually, you know, maybe two, 300 bottles. Um, so we wanted to do smaller sizes so uh, more people could, could try them. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're all, you know, you, you got to get them when they come out and then they're they're gone forever so they're all really fun projects but we have enough core products right now where we're not trying to expand too too many more we have i think we were tasting 11 spirits over the weekend and we're like this is too too much too many scale back <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a in in the um craft spirits world does that become a problem like if you have too many different products it, definitely it's detrimental compared it's, to i mean it's definitely tough it's it's always good you know at the distillery you give people the options to try different stuff but when we're really trying to get new restaurants and bars and retailers to um, pick up mcclintock products you can just see their eyes go wide when you pull out 23 bottles and put them up on their yeah. bar and they're like it's too Go much <laughs> so we, we really are trying to focus on what we're passionate about which is our three whiskeys our three gins and then we have the vodka and the cordial line as well to kind of round it out but you know we we aren't really trying to add too much more into that right now this was kind of the plan from the beginning is we make what we love which is gin and whiskey i think it can be done well and i think it can be done poorly you know there's there's um you know think about sagmore spirit we make rye Rye, rye, rye. Would you like to try some rye? And that's fine, right? Like that's their thing. And then yeah. they're, you know, McClintock, you guys do, you know, kind of a, a range of different products with different distillate bases. Mm. Um, and then there's line distilling. They do a, a line of different products, but with the same distillate base, you know? So I think there is, I think as long as you have like a paradigm or a governing vision that is somehow separate from the economics of it, something that makes you good and interesting, like, regardless of the the money aspect, then I think it's good and then the money will follow. But I think if you just, you know, start with a rum and then do a vodka and then a gin and then, oh, the whiskey's ready and then it can, it can feel a little disjointed. So I think, you know, it's, I think it's probably the toughest way to do it is the way that you've done it, it which is to have multiple different spirit offerings, but still have that feeling that it's all working toward a cohesive idea of like what great craft spirits are. 
because I think that can get easily lost if you're just trying to launch SKUs. So of the two we've tried so far, what, um, oh, actually, which one do you like better? I like no the, the wheat whiskey. Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, the hop one was cool. Actually, one comment I had on the hop was, you know, sometimes when you taste like those super like high dark chocolate chocolate bars, you get almost like a whiny note on that. Like, like it's, you get some really interesting, like almost whiskey or f- fruity tastes um, that, that you get from certain barrel aged spirits and that I got that really beautiful, like super like high acidity, dark chocolate out of there. And I think the hops really brought that out. It was the cho- the, It was made with a lot of chocolate malt. Chocolate too, malt. That, yeah. I mean, straight off the still, it tasted like chocolate. Like <laughs> yeah. it was chocolate. <laughs> yes. Um. All right. So what? How? What kind of cocktail would you make with that? What bitters would you use, or would you not use that in a cocktail? So with the the hop infused single malt, right? The yeah, I would probably go in some direction of like a a bitter like a Boulevardier riff. So there's like, um, an, I can't, I can never remember. It's called the old pal or the man around man about town, but it's basically a Boulevardier made with, um, Chinar instead of, um, the traditional Campari. So you got your base spirit, which in this case would be a whiskey. You've got your Chinar and then you've got like a sweet vermouth. And those are all made in equal parts. You stir that up, you put it over a nice big rock and then you garnish it with uh, a citrus twist. Um, for this, because there's so much interesting flavor with that, uh, the hop infused and the chocolate malt, I would actually pair that back. So I'd take the idea of the Chinar kind of, um, like bitter drink, and I would just do a Manhattan ratio with two ounces of this and an ounce of Chinar, stir that up and make it like a Manhattan because there's so much interesting flavor here. It kind of reminds me of like a man about town or one of those really vegetable, uh, vegetable Amari cocktails, but you can actually pair it back and just make a Manhattan ratio and have this be like a beautiful sipper that, that still, you know, that, that has the, the flavors of the, the base spirit still really front and center. I'm super lazy, so I will probably drink every drop of it just poured over an ice cube. <laughs> to be, I mean, I, my thing these days is highballs. Um, so I get to like take my spirit and then I'll, I'll just put it, you know, sparkling water over it and it, it dilutes it. It chills it down. I still get the the base flavor, but it's so easy to sip. That's yeah. my, that's my thing these days. What about the wheat? The wheat. Which you think is the better. <laughs> uh, I just have a special spot in my heart for wheat whiskey. It's, it's not, there's not too many people doing it and it's usually not done well. So when I come across one that's done well, it's almost like f- going to another country and finding a food that was like discontinued in your country <laughs> that they still make. That's how I think about it anyway. Um, that it's, you know what I would almost do with, with this, it, it has to go in sort of the, the old fashioned camp, um, because it's got like that, that honey and that apple in there. Um, I don't know. Another, another idea there's, there's a, a Maryland cocktail called the Diamondback, which is made with rye. Um, and I believe, or maybe apple brandy, um, and a little bit of yellow chartreuse and, and maybe some sweet vermouth. And so I think that could also maybe be in that, that, uh, diamondback category because it's got like the, the apple notes from, from the brandy barrel. I, I really love apple spirits. I think if I had to pick a, like one base fruit, it would be apple as my favorite. I love Calvados. All right. So then we have, what was your first collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is the Frederick's series gin mm. 
But it's Jennifer, though, right? It is. Okay. Yeah. Which is... TTB, we had to call it a gin, not a Jennifer. It's weird how... I mean, I guess it it makes sense that they have rules governing that, but it's so, like... I mean, like... The rules are good for the most part. It's frustrating to deal with, but they're also the rules that says, you know, Diageo can't take Jack Daniels and put it in a fancy bottle and say craft distilled by... Uh, you know, this family in Iowa or whatever and, and put it on there. So they're annoying, but they are helpful. Yeah. Although it, in some ways they kind of get in the way of craft spirits because like the um, no cover, it, it is a whiskey, but you can't advertise it as a whiskey because it has hops added into it. Yeah. But that didn't do anything to take it away from being a whiskey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of these probably could be updated. Um, but, you know, I, I understand why they do that. You know, they're trying to protect yeah, it, know, it makes our sense. property. Like, you know, that's one of our biggest exports is you know, American whiskey yeah. all, all over the world. And people come to know it. And, you know, when you start getting into like the, you know, open that door, then you get the fireballs and the honey whiskeys and get a little uh out of hand not not my favorite stuff anyways but yeah uh so this innovation series um so this was our first release um we still have a few bottles left at the distillery um is a collaboration with the um, baltimore spirits company um they're making some really awesome they're like us they love whiskey and gin um so we took some of their uh, whiskey low wines, and we distilled some of our Boochak rye low, wine, low wines, switched them, and then distilled uh, the respective whiskeys into a Dutch-style Jennifer. Um, so I, this was one of my favorite projects we've done because... Um, Which we've learned from the past, you don't like the Dutch. Well, yeah, that's right. I hate the Dutch. Uh, so we've made something that they do, and we did it better. Um, no, so we did... Uh, what it, what's a low wine? So it's like the first run through of spirits. So if you're doing, uh, if you're making a whiskey that's, you know, like scotch is double distilled. So you distill it into a spirit, you take that spirit, put it back in the still, run it through again, and that's your finished spirit. Okay. So it just, it cleans it up a little bit more. Um, we generally don't do that. We have the hybrid still, so we can distill straight from grain into finished product. Um, but the Baltimore Spirits Company does do stripping runs and finishes finishing runs, so um, we we basically so after you just the first ran yours run, like what, the way they would yeah yeah. Okay. So then we switched those low wines and then redistilled them through, um, and it was really fun because you know normally when you make a gin it's a blank profile. You're starting with basically a vodka, so there's not a lot of flavor there, and you can build the character of the gin from all the botanicals that you put into it. Um, this one, a traditional Dutch Jennifer, still has that character of the base uh, fermentable in there. So traditionally it's it's malted barley, but we wanted to put a Maryland twist on it and make it malted rye. So with this one, we already had this like really robust, like full-bodied, malty uh, rye base, really rich like black pepper and cardamom notes. So we wanted to make a really subtle botanical mix that kind of complemented and promoted the actual flavor of the spirit rather than covering it up. Um, so this one is like a very savory mix. We wanted to promote that that black pepper spice of the rye, so a little bit of 
fennel, coriander, um, uh, some, we actually added some more cardamom on, on the back end. So it, it came out really nice. Uh, it's 84 proof, but a nice gentle sipping Jennifer. This would be a great in a martini. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know what to do, Eric. Yeah. What would, what would you do with this? Yeah. Just, just a martini. I mean, so, well, and that's, I, I mean, uh, a good martini is just like, there's a reason why it is like when you say the word cocktail, people picture a martini. You know, it's uh, it is the ultimate in like the base. Besides the the old fashioned, the the martini is the ultimate in like a, a, an unaged base spirit just doing its work. And I think if you could get like a really nice dry vermouth in this, and then maybe I don't know a few dashes of our bitterman orange bitters, and I would definitely add that. Yes. Uh, I think that you want, I, I definitely want this in a chilled glass. And I think the cool thing that you'd probably pick up, I'd have to, I'm assuming I haven't made a martini with this. You'd probably pick up in a really chilled glass. You'd get the acidity of the dry vermouth. You'd get your essential citrus oils from the bitters and whatever twist you'd use, but you'd still get a lot of the, like the spine of that grain base would still be there and i think to me that's why i'd want to taste this on martini because in a martini you often don't get that grainy note mm -hmm. and that's why i'd be excited to try that yeah that's what i've been telling people is like if you want a gin and tonic our other gins are great they're built around mm -hmm. gin and tonics but this one you My know it's such a delicate a yes yes she does i made her, <laughs> I made her a few a few weeks ago um this one is you know, you'd lose a lot of that kind of subtle, like, character in a gin and tonic. So, it, it you know, lighter cocktails with this one, it's, it's you know, even sippable on its own. Um, but, yeah. I did, um, did I let you cover everything to do with Modern Bar Cart? I'm thinking back, I feel like I may have cut you off on some I, of I it. I think so. I okay. mean, yeah, so we're, I can kind of talk about where we're headed, if that yeah. makes sense. Um we are moving more in the direction of, you know, we're, we're still making the bitters, um, but we're moving in the direction of kind of like an online marketplace. So we're currently carrying on our website, of course, our bitters, but also Element Shrub and then um, Pratt Standard cocktail syrups. Um, so we have a full range of like 20 plus mixers. Um, we just launched some sustainable drinking straws in the stainless steel and bamboo materials, which we're excited about. Um, we've also got a tasting journal that we created. We've got some cocktail scented soaps. I have such a strong hatred for paper straws. Yeah, they're bad. I like the, I mean, I don't use straws myself ever, but try handing a kid a drink with a paper straw in it. Yeah. And it, they, any restaurant that does that may as well just come out and punch me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, and then if you drink out of it and if you leave it in there for a while, you get like that wet paper taste and it's like, all right, well. You saved the environment, at least in your perspective, but you yeah. ruined the drink in my perspective. Um, so, I mean, that's what we like about the bamboo and the stainless yeah. steel. Um, but we're So all that is me to say, like, that's cool. I like bamboo and stainless steel much better. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so next year we're going to be hopefully launching things like some glassware, some bartender aprons, some you know, to really make it look and feel like uh, a marketplace. And with the podcast, um, we're branching into more video. We don't have a, a cool little studio like this, uh, <laughs> but I do have interns, and they are and they are willing to go on the road and uh, do some filming with me so that's been fun. I need to fun. get myself some interns. Well, we'll talk off air. I'll, t I'll teach you how to catch them. <laughs> you gotta be sneaky. You gotta, you gotta use the right bait, but it's doable. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're heading. Um, just kind of doing wh exactly what we're doing now, but more and just better. expanding on the brand. 
exactly. Uh, and and just like because right now, if you visit our site, you're like, oh, this is cool. Oh, and you can buy a few things. But hopefully by this time next year, you'll be like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. You know. So that's that's where we're heading. It's you know kind of a it's been a multi-year rebrand process for us, but it's been a lot of fun. And uh, this is why you know I, I love going out and talking to people about it. So this has been great. Do you have anything else coming yeah. up that you want to talk about, Braden? Um. Come to the Barroom Blitz. Yeah, come to the yeah. Barroom Blitz. It's going to be so much fun. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, and I think we've really set it up to be a, a more you know, consumer-friendly event. So it's really just about having I'm a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so it should be good. And if you do uh, want to try any of Eric's awesome bitters, we carry his full lineup at our distillery, and we have plenty of sample bottles. So if you are into bitters, or if you're not into bitters and want to start playing around with it, um, he's got these awesome mix packs so you can uh, start playing around uh, with different cocktails because I'm a terrible bartender, but Eric has <laughs> made it easy to make some really cool, simple cocktails. Well, I mean, from watching TV, you have a phenomenal bartender on staff. Yes, that's it. Zach Kennedy, <laughs> he made it on TV, head bartender. <laughs> Very good. Next time your wife makes a gin and tonic, tell her to try some of either the tiki bitters or the liquid gold bitters in there. Those both go really well with gin and tonics with a squeeze of lime. I have to pick up some more gin. I think we're out of gin. So then I'll get some gin, and then she can try that out. Definitely. Your tangray is pretty good deals going on That's usually what she drinks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I I don't know that she's drank any other gin than Forager. Why would you need to? Well, especially (laughs) being a member of the club. Yeah, you get some free bottles out of it. Not free, just prepaid. That's right. (laughs) Included in the cost of the Inventors Club. I always tell people that the Forger Gin was the best batch one spirit I've ever tasted. (laughs) Yeah, you got it right from the And then then you guys changed the mash bill or the the botanical bill. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) It's still really good. All right, gentlemen, I want to thank you for coming out. I think we've covered everything um so everyone's homework is to go to the ballroom blitz that takes place on december 13th december 13th um before that though everyone should go to mcclintock's third year anniversary i mean if you really want to you could get some of the wheat whiskey but you should definitely (laughs) get some of the hop infused spirit distilled from grain yes um and thank you everyone for watching and listening yeah. cheers thanks for having cheers. us uncapped is brought to you with support from mcclintock distilling maryland's first and only organic certified distillery they are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions you can visit them in historic downtown frederick along carroll creek for tours and tastings Go to mcclintockdistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here. And by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, spirits and cocktail competition insights by Braden Bumpers and Chris Sands, and a little bit of colored commentary by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.